three higher ed authors, 100 plus college and university presidents, dozens of actionable insights for academic leaders. Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education is now available on Amazon. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Edup Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Dr. Joe Salusio back with you another episode here. We're just uh, third or fourth episode recorded here in 2023. So these guests get the first, uh, they get me fresh off uh, two weeks of no podcasting. So I'm full of mistakes. My Wi-Fi is having trouble. I forget uh, my own name at times, how to intro the podcast. It's been really rough taking a couple weeks off and then trying to come back in. Like I, uh, it's, it's not like riding a bike. You can't just stop doing it and then start again. You have to have the habit of doing it, uh, especially if you don't edit, which, you know, Elvin and I don't do that often, which means we leave in the mistakes, we leave in the imperfections, but that's what makes us authentic and real people who serve others here in higher education. Um, you can read Commencement, the Beginning of a New Era in Higher Education, a book that I co-authored with Kate Colbert that we just put out about almost two months ago. And it is uh, making an impact within higher education. People are sharing it all across LinkedIn. It's been so appreciated. I say thank you at the beginning of every episode because I really mean it. Thank you for your support. But I do want to get to it right away because I got two gentlemen waiting for me. This first gentleman, you've heard him before. You'll hear him again. He's Douglas Carlson. He's head of business development, partnerships, and strategy for North America at Lead Squared. And his title is not getting any shorter these days. Douglas, what's going on? Hey, Joe. It's great to be back. Are you uh, fresh off a uh, vacation? Are you feeling refreshed? Are you failing in your resolutions already or succeeding? <laughs> uh, doing okay already. I've, you know, I've seen the inside of a gym this year, which uh, is a big piece of what I'm doing. You just went once and that was it. Check. Yeah, and, exactly. Done. You know? We're good. Resolution complete. I'm telling you, I don't do any resolutions. Um, I try I try not to do resolutions because, uh, because the failure rate's really high. And so <laughs> I don't want to start off the year that way, you know? Uh, but anyway, it is what it is. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have a great conversation, I think, today about lifelong learning. Uh, an important conversation, especially as higher ed continues to change. And uh, we've got a great guest in here. He is. I'm going to bring him in right now. He's Nader K. Marie. K. Marie. Oh, gosh, I did it already. See, Nader. You got it. You got it. I got that's it. right. Yeah. He's CEO of Edcetera. Ladies and gentlemen, that's real because I asked him at the beginning, I was like, I'm not going to mess up your name. And then I actually get to doing it and I mess up things all the time. So, Nader, how are you? I am doing well. It's so good to be here, guys. Well, so uh, we always like to level set with a mistake, make you feel comfortable. You feel more comfortable that I've been making mistakes so far? Yeah, I you know feel a lot more comfortable. I feel like I can make a lot of mistakes now, and play, probably will. So let's get at it. <laughs> All right, so we're we're gonna get into this right now. Let's let's level set. What is Edcetera? Where are you? What do you guys do? How do you do it? And then we'll go from there. Yeah, so Edcetera actually is a company that was rebranded. So in the past, it was called PDH Academy, and uh, I came on about a year ago and felt like we needed to do a rebrand because we were expanding into so many different verticals and getting into different product lines that uh, we needed a name that encompassed that a little more. So uh, Edcetera basically is a organization uh, headquartered right outside of Milwaukee that provides uh, three categories of products and services. One in uh, exam preparation, so anything from board prep to high stakes exam prep uh, to pre-licensure, so helping people figure out you know, all the ins and outs of a subject area if they're looking to get a license, and then continuing education. So once you get your professional license, basically getting the continuing ed 
So we only focus on <clears throat> regulated professions, so anything that needs a professional license, and we provide products and services in those three areas. Give us a couple examples of careers that need a professional license so we can get an idea of we're talking about sure. medical, education, where, where are we talking about? Yeah, so medical and education are big ones. Um, so in medical, for example, we, we service uh, veterinarians, dermatologists, ophthalmologists, optometrists, all those different specialties that you typically, you know, take your pet or go to yourself. Um, those people in healthcare, pretty much every state, every state, you need a professional license in order to operate. And a lot of times it's only in your state. Sometimes you can get them where they cross states. Uh, so all of those. But then we also get into skilled trades. So things like a home inspector. Uh, you know, the guy comes and inspects your house, typically needs a professional license in most states. A real estate agent, uh, electrician, plumber, um, all those different uh, professions basically that people have where we use quite often uh, need a professional license, cosmetologists, hmm. um, and then even architects and engineers and uh, things where you need a degree and a license. So those are the pro more professional uh, positions. So we have, uh, you know, content and products for all of those as well. So it's kind of like licensure, like a spectrum of training, right? You do pre pre licensure training, uh, continuing education, these professions, they need to upgrade all the time, right? They got to stay relevant with uh, continuing education credits, they or, or whatever else, depending on what the state regulations are. Um, do you because in higher ed can higher ed institutions can also offer some of these things. Um, I don't think they do it as effectively as companies who are targeting this type of education. And you hear it all the time, like, Oh, I got to get my CEUs. Oh, I got to go do this. I got to do that. And there, was, there wasn't a lot of design around it. Uh, I found through the years, I've been in higher ed for like 20 something years, and there was never mm -hmm. a lot of design around it. People didn't know where to go to get certifications, credits sometimes, or how to prepare for an exam. Are you finding that, that I don't know, are, are, is this attracting a student and are they understanding the full life cycle of education that's out in front of them now? Yeah, so I would say there's just a fundamental problem right now with continuing education and all the different avenues you can get it. Because honestly, it's become this compliance, just check the box activity. So, hey, I'll go to a conference, I'll get my hours that way, and I may or may not learn anything. It doesn't really matter, but I just need to get this requirement done by the end of the year. So we're really trying to you know, position that as a small part of what we do. Um, we, you know, you come to us because you need your continuing education, but what we're really going to focus on in all the training, in addition to that, are all the skills that you really need to be successful. So in each of these professions, I, you know, I spouted off, they're all ones where you can become a self-proprietor. You basically, because you have a license, you can open up your own practice. I can be a chiropractor. I could, you know, have my own home inspection business, whatever it is. So in addition to knowing like a home inspector, knowing about radon and getting all those uh, CE requirements, I also need to know how to open up a business. I need to yeah. know how to set up an LLC. I need to know how to market. I need to know what SEO is, all this other stuff. So we're really trying to focus on providing, and this is where universities don't typically, they'll do the CEO credits, but they won't go into all these other areas. So that's really where we're trying to focus. We, we have, you know, tremendous share of these people as they're preparing for their high stakes exam. Once they graduate, we then want to work with them really early on in their career and give them everything they need from how to network, the soft skills, the professional skills, the marketing skills, everything, in addition to the required uh, state level CE to 
basically support them along that professional journey and make sure that they're successful in these professions. I like your style, dude. Oh, you don't. <laughs> that is, that's really interesting. It sounds like you are preparing the next generation of entrepreneurs in a very specific way. Yeah, I, you know, I wrote an article recently about how I want to kind of help redefine entrepreneurship because we have this impression of it. You watch Shark Tank, you learn about, you know, all these startups and everything, but there's so much money to be made as a home inspector. And people don't even think of that as something, hey, that's a startup. I can go and take a test, learn how to do it. Home inspectors get paid four or $500 every individual home inspection. And you could do a few of those a day. Um, you're looking at a six-figure income without a college degree at all. In all <laughs> Still getting used to that. I told you um, they're jarring sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but it but sounds yeah. like what, what, to, to better kind of clarify what you're saying, it's like everybody thinks startup and entrepreneurship and Shark Tank and other shows have glamorized it. It's like this glamour, like if you're an entrepreneur, you must be Mark Cuban. You must have to be Mark Cuban. And the reality is you can be an entrepreneur, make an outstanding living, and it, it, the glamour is really TV. It's TV glamour. The reality is different. Yeah, and it's not about knowing how to do coding and creating an app or, you know, any of the, or having to seek out investors. You can do all this with nothing. I mean, you just take a course. For us, you know, it's a $600 course. You take the course, you pass the exam, and then you go and hit the street and do your networking and and you're there, you're, you're starting a business. And then eventually you can hire other home inspectors to work for you and have a multi-inspector business. And now you're talking about a very lucrative um, opportunity. So there's so many professions you can do this, many without even a college degree, and people don't know about them. So that's what I'm really trying to get out there. Nailed it. Keep going, yeah, that, Douglas. Yeah, that, that's incredible. And what we've seen over the last decade, it's been such a push, you have to go to college. And there's absolutely a great reason to do that. But what it's done is just left this gap where we need more plumbers, we need more electricians, we need more home inspectors. Uh, and I'm, I'm so thrilled that you're really pushing that because we need more of it. Um, mm -hmm. I'm really curious, you know, obviously, we're in an interesting macro, I can, I'm a client, a climate rather, and you have a portfolio of, uh, of these professions. So you kind of see a little, a lot of different areas of the market. Is your business counter cyclical in the way that sort of like when the economy goes down, everyone comes back and gets it? Are some of them up, some of them down? Just curious on how that affects your business and how you think about it. Yeah. So we're about 50% healthcare. So healthcare is recession proof, always growing. So you always kind of like look at that and say, I wish everything was like that. But at the same time, um, you know, there's so much more to do. So when I look at like, um, home inspection in real estate, right? Those are obviously very much affected by how many new houses are sold, what interest rates are, everything. So that goes up and down. Um, we definitely, uh, you know, we'll see softness because of different macro issues. But the counter to that is when unemployment goes up, like any other education business, you see benefit there because people are now looking to reskill and so forth. So right now we're at an interesting time. You have housing kind of going down interest rates high unemployment really really low so this is probably one of the the valleys um yeah. but we're about i have a feeling unemployment will start creeping up based on all the different you know economic 
policies that are being implemented. So unemployment will go up and that's when we'll start seeing people actually looking for these professions and we wanna be ready for them um, when they do. Interesting. And is, do you fall under accreditors or are you in a different category so you don't have to go through that part of the process? We could go through accreditation and um, I've actually looked into that. And there, um, there's some benefits and you, know, you get an EDU behind your website and all that good stuff, but um, we don't really need to. What we do though, is we have relationships with every state regulatory body. So we have to get approval for pretty much everything we do. Um, and, and that also makes it really hard for competitors to come after us because we've gone through years. This company has been around for 10 plus years. We've gone through years of regulatory approvals, building those relationships, knowing the nuances of every state's regulations. Um, and we, we find that to be a really, really important competitive advantage. Oh, absolutely. That's an incredible moat. And uh, you know, I spent time at Penn Foster Education Group, and we, we actually looked at that as a competitive advantage rather than something mm -hmm. to do. So uh, I applaud you for that. Uh, and, and part of the reason I asked the question is, as well as kind of lead to the next question is, how do you think about outcomes and success? And sometimes accrediting bodies force you into sort of a box of what success means. And so I'm really yeah. curious about how you think about it. Yeah, so for our exam prep business, it's pretty straightforward because we look at pass rates. So uh, for example, the, um, in the veterinary side, uh, the NAVLI is the big board level exam that you have to take. Um, we have about 84% share of the vet veterinary prep market. So the exam prep market, so a really large share. And the reason we do is because our pass rates are extremely, extremely high. They're in the 90s. Um, and so we look at pass rates. We look at the national average or the international average for the pass rate for a specific board level exam. And then we look at our own pass rates and we're always trying to improve on that. Um, so that's what we do there. I would say on the continuing education side, it's really the outcomes are uh, the NPS scores, the customer satisfaction, how many of them repeat business with us and keep coming back to us. So that's how we see that. In the future, I really want to look at the employability of the professions, professionals, um, you know, their upward mobility, all those different things, because that's what we're trying to influence now beyond CE. I love okay, that. Let me, let me just jump in one second, Douglas. You're monopolizing. That's okay. You can do that. <laughs> uh, but it, but it, you, you're on the, you're on, I think there's just one question here that I have, which is where's the target market for you? Is it the employee? Because you could partner with universities and offer these uh, certifications as a part of a income share agreement or yep. revenue share. You could get with the employer, right? And be the piece of the employer arm that's going to certify. And then there must be individual students that find you through SEO, through search or whatever. Right. Is it a three-pronged marketplace for you or is there focus? It is. So we've been predominantly direct to consumer over the years. Um, we've now established a significant number of relationships with universities. So as soon as we got to kind of critical mass with the students, now universities are saying, oh, this is the leading exam prep provider. Why don't I provide this for all my students? Because it makes my program more competitive than others because I'm actually passing more students. So you'll see now a lot of institutional partnerships being formed that way. The other really interesting area, especially for me, you know, uh, Penn Foster, all these other organizations, is the B2B side. And the reason that's really interesting is we're in professions where there is a dearth of, of labor. So we actually, every single vertical we've picked, there's a shortage of people in more jobs than there are people. So there's a shortage of veterinarians, there's a shortage of optometrists, of, um, you know, all these home inspectors. There's a shortage of home inspectors out there. 
So what that does is it creates opportunity. Since we have so much share of the prep market, big employers like big networks of veterinary hospitals want to work with us because we have the next generation of students and next generation of candidates and employees and that we can help scale them and get them ready for the workforce. So that's where it's creating a lot of B2B opportunities for us right now and where all of our discussions are happening. Oh, interesting. Are you working with like the Banfields and VCAs of the world? We are. We actually, a VCA, Banfield are big clients of ours. We just uh, signed a very large agreement with Mission Veterinary Partners where we're helping them reach uh, uh, students who are about to pass the, the exam. So there's a lot of opportunity there. And, um, and then you also have sponsors. So you have people who want to sponsor webinars, um, sponsor parts of the product and so forth in order to just get their brand out there. So it could be a pharmaceutical company that's looking to reach dermatologists. So we have access to them and that's what they do. Got it. Yeah. And that's just amazing how important that is. To, so I also come from a little bit of background with the veterinary technicians passing the VTA. Right. And it is one, it's an incredibly hard exam. And two, being able to have that monetary support or be able to have that link is just incredible. So it's like that link to you, to the hospital, to the student and vet, vet tech, it's just like a powerful cycle. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. What do we think about, talk about the trajectory of your business a little bit, et cetera, for anybody that hasn't heard of it before, <clears throat> excuse me, that's hearing it for the first time today. Talk about growth. How's the growth been? Where do you see growth going uh, for the organization? Give us the vision for the long term or five, 10 years. Yeah. Uh, actually, let me tell you a little bit about the name because um, yeah. it was, very, we were very specific with this name. Uh, you know, typically you go through the naming process and you, simply what domains are available or whatnot. But with this one, um, so Ed, C, et cetera, if you break it apart, Ed is the part where we're actually in the university with the exam prep. CE is the next two letters, and that's the continuing education part of our business. And then Terra, which is earth, life, and so forth, that's kind of helping people and supporting them for life. So the idea is to, you know, work with people through that progression from education Amazing. to CE. Good. Um, and so what we're, what we're seeing is we've been, it's double-digit growth then year over year and continues to be that. And we're excited about that. But there's still, there are a number of different prongs you can go, right? You can take one, there's geographic expansion. So we're in a lot of states. We may not be in every state in every vertical. So getting into new states, so that's one area of growth. Um, getting into new verticals. There's so many new verticals that haven't even been regulated yet that may be regulated. And then there are still regulated verticals that we're not in. Um, so we, we look at, you know, the market size of them. We look at uh, the growth trajectory for labor in those verticals, things like that. And that helps us determine if we want to get in there. And then there's uh, just acquisition. I did nine acquisitions last year. So it's been a, it's been a ridiculous, uh, you know, set of growth just coming from acquisitions and there's still a lot more to do. So we're always in those conversations to see if we can accelerate in one of those areas. You know that the world of higher education is experiencing evolutions and revolutions. You want to be part of the progress. Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education with insights from more than 100 college and university presidents will show you how. Get your copy of Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education now on Amazon right away. We think you're going to love it. It's amazing. That's uh oh, that's really interesting because I, 
when you talk about a growth and future um, and your your regulated industries, those that aren't regulated, right? So that's that's probably a little bit harder to zero in on. And, and you, you probably have some idea, like the regulations are moving along or this state or right. that state. But ones that are regulated, how do you choose? How do you say, you know what, we're going to get into this. Is it your infrastructure? Is it penetration into that vertical? I mean, how? Yeah. What's the, what are those factors? Yeah, I actually have a checklist that we kind of do a, you know, a test on each vertical to see uh, if it, if it uh, fits the bill. Uh, one, is it regulated, right? If it has to be regulated. Two, uh, there has to be a labor shortage. Um, so definitely a need for future employees. And then there has to be growth in the number of uh, people entering the profession um, in the future. So we look at that. Um, the other big thing is there's some regulated professions that have online training and some that have a requirement for almost all in-person training. We try and shy, shy away from the ones that are all in-person because that's actually where community colleges fit in. That's where some other players who have a big infrastructure of facilities and franchises all over the country, they, they're better suited to serve that. So we're about 85% online, 15% uh, live hybrid. And that's just because some of our verticals have very specific states that have in-person, we'll, we're willing to do those. So we look at all those different criteria. The other big one is the fragmentation of competition. So I don't wanna go into a vertical if there already is a huge dominant player like mm -hmm. the Kaplan or um, whoever else that's already doing everything they need to do in that space. We're looking for ones where it's a lot of mom and pops who have set up different businesses here and there, because then we feel like we can have a better impact for for the stu uh, students and the customers. Hmm. It's a lot to consider. And, uh, you know, the labor shortage piece is interesting because I get that part, right? You want to have, there's a labor shortage, you're going to offer something, there's going to be more people coming into that profession. So it ensures that you have the pipeline. But are there any verticals where you go, they're just a, maybe it's an oversaturated uh, career, but there's a requirement of some kind that has to be met for CEUs or for training. Would you, would, or is it the growth careers or is it what you would consider the stable career? Is that a determining factor for sure? Do you ever consider something that's got maybe a little bit of a smaller market share in terms of student body, but you know that it's never going away. It's going to be a continual pipeline of students. Yeah, we look at it. It's just, um, really it's how much value can we add to that and then how how much will this uh vision that we have of kind of serving the life of the career um apply in this specific vertical are we able to build a community of professionals are we able to give them life skills beyond ce are we able to access this community so that those are some of the other things that go in there so some things just fall out of the mix just because of that um, but yeah, absolutely. If it's stable and it's not tremendously growing or anything like that, we can still look at it. And we actually have some of those verticals right now, um, but they're just not going to rise to the top of the list in terms of our priority. And um, it seems like you have done a really nice job of not only talking about lifelong learning, but actually putting in pieces that are very tangible to make that happen. Uh, and what's interesting is a lot of the audience of this podcast is traditional higher education which the holy grail or kind of where it's going in a lot of ways is like, you know, getting people to come back and not just having, you know, your four years and you're done. Right. Do you have any advice for more traditional schools if they want to transition to that model? Are there things they should be thinking about? Are there things they should stay away from? I'm just really curious. Yeah. 
I think, you know, the, and I've worked my entire career working with higher education, have tremendous respect for higher education. I think where sometimes it, um, where there's a disconnect is just, there is a real disconnect between practitioners, the workforce and what happens in the classroom. And I think um, the more that higher education makes those connections and those tentacles into the actual community and into um, the, you know, the industry, the, the better they're going to evolve to serving them beyond just those required four years or two years or whatnot. So I think that's where that kind of corporate education connection needs to happen with higher ed. And that's what will allow them to do what we're doing. Because honestly, everything I do is uh, delivered by practitioners. Yeah. Um, that's the other thing that, you know, we talk about like life skills. Well, you can go get sales training from someone who does sales training and software or whatever. A veterinarian doesn't want to hear from that person. A veterinarian wants to hear from another veterinarian who has advice on how to do marketing and sales and so forth. So that's what we do. We deliver everything from actual peers. So um, so it's important to do that, one, for credibility, two, for relevance. Um, and, uh, and that's something that I think higher ed and other places would have to do in order to have uh, people coming back and, and staying with them throughout that continuum. Yeah, I think that's such a compelling point of just, you know, people who are actually doing it, maybe they're not marketers themselves, but they have figured out how to do it in their own veterinary yep. for example. Yeah, because they're going to, I'll listen to that person just because they know what I face on a daily basis. They know that I have like three minutes of time to actually look at and update the website. And so they're not going to give me all these ideas that are just not practical, practical and something, you know, things I can't implement um, in my day to day. What about uh? Let's talk about M and A a little bit. You said nine acquisitions, right? The, mm -hmm. It's it's so there's leadership on a pretty high scale that you're maintaining people, business, future acquisition. It's all different kind of work. Um, it's interesting because higher education. I had this uh, talk yesterday uh, with someone that ten years ago, uh, the word acquisition wouldn't have even existed in higher ed, and now you have institutions acquiring others, mm -hmm. closures. What advice do you have as an ed tech, you know, ed adjacent, higher ed adjacent um, organization that's done acquisitions? What kind of advice do you have for leaders in higher ed that are entering this world of acquisition? What is it? How do you even do it? How do you think about it? You know, if you've done nine in the last year, you might have just a tad bit of experience to share with us, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of people like me so and they're all looking at the same companies i think the um best advice i can give is that be genuine and actually start a relationship with uh one obviously identify what the gap is so when we look at acquisitions i'm looking is it going to accelerate my progress in a vertical is it going to serve the customers better with a product or service is it going to give me access to a geography that i don't have access to right now so i've done my homework and identified those targets. And then what I do is I work and build relationships with those individuals. Cause a lot of times these are founders, they may be um, you know, people who are very, very sensitive about what's gonna happen to their people, the legacy that they've built. The so identity. you have to be extremely, the, right. identity. the identity, you have to be extremely, extremely um, you know, diligent about building the relationship, uh, making sure visions align uh, and that values align. And so you go through that work and it could be where you actually just form a partnership first and, uh, you know, explore that for a period of time. And then that turns into organically a conversation about acquisition or you're upfront from the very beginning and say, listen, I think us together could be extremely powerful. 
um, how can we start building some trust in uh, how can I demonstrate to you that, uh, you know, this is the right thing for you and your people. So in terms of higher ed, if they just will actually create that filter and say, what are my goals and objectives? What is the strategy? And then what other organizations out there can actually help accelerate that and align to my vision? Um, then everything else falls into place if you just do normal human re interaction and build relationships and, um, and just be genuine through the whole process. That's good advice. Douglas, any more questions? Yeah, I'm also kind of on the same acquisition idea. There's all sorts of disparate technologies that often come with trans, uh, transitions and acquisitions. How do you think about that? Like, do you have a technology stack that you like to use and you onboard things? Uh, is this kind of a verticalized enough that you can kind of take their technology in? How do you think about that, especially being like 80, which 85% an online business? Yeah, it is, um, it is a huge challenge. And so you have uh, one, you have different nuances by vertical in terms of people's uh, one actually uh, ease of use or I guess their acceptance of technology. So I have some, you know, some areas like skill trades and so forth where technology is not a huge part of their lives. And then I have other areas where everything is online, right? So you pick platforms based on that. I have regulatory requirements. So certain states will require biometric testing, which immediately gets, or, uh, you know, biometrics. So it'll immediately get rid of a number of different platforms out there. And then you have to have one platform here, another platform there. So short answer to your question though, Douglas, is I have one proprietary exam prep platform and my goal is to migrate all of the acquisitions into that, um, just as long as we continue to service the customers in the best possible way and build it out to do that. And then we are in the process right now of building one consolidated uh, continuing education community, uh, lifelong learning platform that we're bringing all those products into. And they all use third party uh, resources, APIs, things like that to, to round out the experience. But that's um, that's how we do it. Uh, yeah, that's really interesting. Now, I also bet, you know, if you're looking at investors and things like that, owning your own tech, I suspect, gives you a slightly stronger position and certainly better multiple. Where it makes sense. Like I, I said, when I came in, I'm not building an LMS because there are a thousand LMSs out there, but I will build tools that sit on top of an LMS and create a unified experience that actually, um, you know, will get people to want to come back. But when I take the actual course or I do the assessment, let's use existing tools and functionality for that because it doesn't make sense to keep repeating it. Sure. Well, we liked, we, this is a, I love it. I love talking about this because you, you're moving very fast for a higher ed audience. We talk about speed all the time. We talk about, or lack thereof, depending on uh, who we're talking to, right? Higher ed is a lot, lot faster than it used to be mm -hmm. in many respects. And then um, some haven't changed in, in the speed that we have, um, the speed that we have realized out of the pandemic is still not as fast as business moves you have to move as fast as business moves. Mm -hmm. um, is it hard to keep up? How far ahead do you have to stay? Because you're, re you're regulated, both regulated and you're looking at sometimes new def definitions on careers. So the mm -hmm. speed at which you have to provide the service is almost instantaneous at times. You know, what does that look like from a leadership perspective, from a hiring and staffing awareness? Um, talk about that scan that has to be done all of the time on state of state of play if you will yeah absolutely no you have to have the right people just like anything um you have to hire really really good people who are going to bring it every day and especially now you have the added challenge of being in a remote environment so you have to make sure that you know people are communicating and uh, collaborating and so forth 
Um, we have the added uh, challenge of, you know, sometimes when in higher ed, for example, other publishing companies I've worked with in the past, there are really busy parts of the year and then really quiet parts of the year. And those quiet parts of the year is when you get to do planning and everything. I have no quiet parts of the year because every vertical I'm in has a different deadline. So I have some that are at the end of the year, some the test is in March. And so every single month, there's some new challenge that we have to tackle in a specific vertical. And we're in 20 verticals. So, so that keeps it, makes it really challenging. So, but it goes back to just knowing what you're going to do, knowing what you're not going to do, what you're capable of serving, you know, who you're capable of serving, who you're not capable of serving, and um, having the right people to execute on a plan. So that's kind of how we look at it and basically tackle it day by day. Love it. Douglas, do you have any final questions for Nader before I give him the final two? No, I think I love your final two questions, so I'll hand it back to you. All right. Uh, number one, what did we not say about et cetera that needs to be said? Anything that you planned on saying today that we didn't ask you because <clears throat> we're a little rusty after the holiday uh, or anything coming up, speaking gigs, acquisitions that you want to um, air here live on the Edip experience that nobody knows about yet, you know, whatever you're feeling. Uh, and then number two, what do you see for the future of, of education and higher education? Yeah, so for your first question, you guys actually were extremely thorough, and I think I covered pretty much all of um, my talking points. Uh, you know, this is a, it's a smaller company, we're about 50 employees, and we're growing pretty rapidly, so it's a very exciting time to be here, um, and uh, have built a really good culture, and I feel like a really dedicated team of individuals who all have, you know, different levels of experience in, in education. So, um, but yeah, I feel like you covered the company really, really well. Um, for the future, it's uh, just really doubling down on this concept that we could help people be successful in their professions. And it doesn't matter if you have a college degree that, or a graduate degree or high school degree or no degree, um, but helping people find the pathway that's necessary to whatever their definition of success is. Um, I, I'd like to say, you know, for education in general, I, I love higher education. I'm a product of higher education. I think it has tremendous purpose. The big thing, the big discussion we need to have is, does everyone need to go through that process? Is everyone actually equipped? And do they actually, is there a necessity to actually put everyone through that process? My answer is no. So in my, in my opinion, I think that just like every business segments and figures out who their target customer is, we need to do the same thing in higher education. We need to do that in all aspects of education because I see the possibilities for someone who just doesn't have that in them and won't be successful there. There are other paths and we need to be, we need to remove any stigma around that. Even my kids, you know, I want to have that conversation. They're young right now, 10 and seven. I want to have that conversation when they get older and say, listen, I saved money for a college fund for you, but do you have an amazing business idea or you have a passion, I'm willing to take that money and put it in that if I know that that's the right path for you. And I think we need to be willing to have those conversations because uh, it just need one to make sure everyone's happy and what they do. But then I think we're just going to be a better, better country because of it um, in terms of the economy and, and the things that we produce. Love it. You know, it's interesting. I, um, I've said it, uh, marketing makes a big difference in higher ed now and institutions that never had a market before, you, you said it, target, who's the target? Higher ed hasn't had, by and large, hasn't had to think that way before. Like, here's my customer, here's who I'm serving. 
because the student was going to come in. And it was right. funny because there's a very large R1 uh, institution that's, um, I was looking on their website and I, it, you know, I always look at people's strategic enrollment plans or growth plans and it says something like, this is the first time we've had to put something together because we have never needed to define our market before. That's what makes ed tech and ed adjacent companies so good is because they're for-profit minded. And so they think customer centric and higher ed is right. just getting to that point, but it is all about the customer and the customer defines the pathway. And so there's now there's multiple pathways because the customer is saying, I want more, I want different, I want something that's customized. And it sounds like you're providing customized solutions in a way for students to skill stack. Yeah, because if you don't have, if you don't really do that segmentation, you're never going to evolve your product offering to make sure that it's relevant to who you're trying to serve. So by becoming kind of complacent and saying, "Oh, customers are always going to come to us," like they have been in higher ed for years, you serve the same product, you have tenure, you have all these other things that just serve the same product um, year over year, and eventually you become irrelevant. So that's why that has to change. Otherwise, they'll die, um, which none of us want to see. Well, there you have it, Douglas. I'm glad you were here for this one, my friend. Nader was incredible. Of course, I'll outro you first. You know him. He's Douglas Carlson. I'm not going to say his title. He's head of something at Lead Squared. You've probably heard me say it a million times. Um, you can contact him for more information if you want to know about Lead Squared, which uh, I highly recommend. And of course, our guest today, I'm going to get his name right, I think. Here he is. He's CEO of Edsetter. He's Nader Kaimari. Kaimari. Camry. Camry. <laughs> Only on the Edip experience can you mess up three times in a row, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, three times in a row. Um, we appreciate you, Nader. I, I, uh, incredible insights that you brought. We hope you had a good experience in the podcast today. I did. Thank you, Dr. Joe. Thank you, Douglas. It was great. It was a pleasure talking to you. And even with the jarring sound effects, which I did warn you about before the recording started, we still we still get a reaction out of you when they hit, you know? Uh, yeah, they're totally natural by the end. So absolutely. Love it. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just ed upped. It's time to level up. The beginning of a new era in higher education begins with you. Order your copy of Commencement. The Beginning of a New Era in Higher Education by Kate Colbert, Dr. Joseph Lucille, with contributions by Elvin Freitas. It's Higher Education's must-read book of 2022. Discover how you can seize the moment to change higher education forever. Commencement, The Beginning of a New Era in Higher Education, now available on Amazon. For bulk orders, contact Kate, Joe, or Elvin. 303-529-9000.